uh, may have been confused by it all. But uh, last week I said something in church uh, that had some people confused. They were, they were, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> I said that I hoped that I was praying for rain this weekend. And some people were like, I don't really understand, why would he pray for rain on the weekend? Um, it was because, uh, not just that this was Halloween weekend, which you know, I'm all about giving out candy. Matter of fact, we don't get trick-or-treaters. Now, since y'all put the parsonage way out of town, we don't get trick or Nobody comes to our house to trick-or-treat, but I always tell Michelle, you've got to be prepared. So get the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups just in case. And the Snicker Bars, get, get them just in case. Don't get, the, don't get the cheap 500 pieces for $50 bag. Give me the, the real, the high, the high bar. Let's get the full-size bars to give kids. Give kids if they come by, right? <laughs> Which, but I get those, so uh, that's... Anyway, that's an aside. Uh, but this being Halloween weekend, I'm all about having fun and giving candy to kids and kids eating too much and staying up late and getting belly aches. I'm all for it, Terry. Sorry for your luck. So, uh, but, but one thing I, I cautioned in church was that uh, I knew that there were some adults who were taking part in, a, uh, in witches' activities here in town. It, as fun as whatever, I don't know, that, why, what their motivation was. But my statement was, and remains to be, that that I believe there are spiritual forces at work in this world. And we would be wise not to take them lightly, not to entertain them uh, foolishly. Uh, Some people, I don't know, were maybe hurt or offended that the church would speak such a way. This is I want you to know, because you are the church that I'm worried about, uh, first and foremost. So I want you to know where I was coming from with this. If you heard somebody say something and you're like, I can't believe you would say that. This is where I was coming from. Isaiah chapter 5. Verses 20 and 21, it says this, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and clever in their own sight. I don't want anybody to, to think that, oh, that's no big deal. I want us to know, I want the world to know that, no, that this is a big deal. Our spirit, the spiritual life is a huge deal. That's the only reason we exist. And so I don't want, want anyone to walk into things unaware. So uh, it wasn't to make light of a situation. It wasn't to, uh, you know, pray rain for somebody's event. And uh, it, was, it was simply that my point was that people would be aware of the spiritual realities in this world. I want to see that. I want that for you. I want that for my neighbor as well. All right? So if anybody was confused by it, Please, that, that's where my heart was, and that's where I was coming from. Um, otherwise, I want everybody to, who comes to Rock Hall to have a good time. I want them all to enjoy this place as much as I do. Uh, yeah, amen? So pray with me as we get our hearts prepared for the word today. God. I'm still confused, Pastor. Huh? Amen. So there were some, apparently, I, I don't know because I wasn't in town yesterday. Apparently there were some folks who came into town, some adults who wanted to have a witch's weekend yeah. here in Rock Hall. And I don't think that's wise, because uh, the things that are evil need to stay evil. Not, we don't need to play with them. Uh, spiritual things in this world that we don't want to entertain. Uh, thinking that, oh, that's just... I'm not saying don't let your kids trick-or-treat. That's not what I'm saying. Although a lot of Christians say we don't trick-or-treat. We don't give out candy. And that, Amen. We need to be aware and we need to be make sure of our heart about where we're, why we're doing things and what's going on and not be deceived in thinking that, oh, it's fine when actually there might be something nefarious going on, spiritually speaking. So, 
Amen. We're going to be guarded from that. So let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love and your mercy, Lord. I thank you that you never give up on us. Lord, I ask you now that you would teach us, that you would share with us a story again of your love, your plan for our life, and how we might live into your desire for us. God, we love you. And we ask you now that you would speak plainly that we may hear and understand. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Amen. One thing I've noticed in life, and you probably have too, uh, that I've experienced, and, and people that I've talked to who've experienced it have taught me, right, that difficulties, hard times in life, when we approach them from faith, from out of faith, out of our faith, we, we bring our faith to our hard times. When we do that, they turn into very powerful experiences. Difficulties, hard times, actually become powerful experiences that actually develop into some of our sweetest memories once we get through to the other side. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, something that you never thought, how am I going to get through this? But you did. God saw you through it. And then when you got out of it on the other side, you look back and you said, wow, that was, that was good. That was really good. I wouldn't trade that for anything. It, one of those happened to me this week. Uh, on Tuesday night, I was invited by some student athletes at Washington College to join them uh, for a student government association meeting <laughs> uh, was, uh, they were having on Tuesday night. I, I, I serve as a field ambassador for Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Kent County. <clears throat> and the students, student athletes at Washington College have been trying to start a club there for the last couple of years, and I've been working with them, uh, meeting, planning for the, at least the last year. Last, a week ago, one week ago, or I guess almost two weeks ago now, they had applied for official recognition as a club there on campus. And they were denied. <clears throat> I was asked to come back the following week when the application would be reviewed again, right, to answer some questions about FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Because Fellowship of Christian Athletes is an evangelical parachurch organization that has some clear statements about how they believe about sexuality and, and life in the church. Some, some cultural hot topics, you might say. And the students at Washington College were uncomfortable with it, to, to, to put it mildly. One of the students, or the one student, who had gone the week prior, who was denied, right? I met with him in the days before, and he was asked to come back as well, so he was going to be with me on Tuesday night. He knew what to expect, and... As I spoke to him over the, the days to, before, leading up to it, he was excited. He was excited to go back and stand up for his faith. I mean, he was like, really? I mean, he, just to watch him, he, as he was sitting there, he would like get visibly excited. I mean, he would start, you know, you could tell his, his blood pressure was going up because he was ready to go. For me and the other student who would go on Tuesday night, we didn't, we, he had told us, the one had told us what to expect, but we didn't know, right? We didn't really have an idea of what it was going to be like. But we did know that it wasn't going to be fun. We, we knew that much, that this is going to be difficult. So there I was on Tuesday night. We finally got called up about 9 o'clock Tuesday night. Me and two other college kids are standing in an auditorium, a little bigger than this, but it's standing up in front of an auditorium and uh, the Rooms full of other students, few of them 
who are Christians, and even fewer who, are, who, who believed as we did. I'll say this, it was hard to hear some of the things that they said about my faith. What they said about my faith. <coughs> excuse me. At times, it was even hard for... <coughs> excuse me. The cake? <coughs> Maybe it was the icing. Did you have Jimmy's hid inside that cake somewhere? Cake was good. Um, <coughs> at times, it was hard to say what... I believed, not because I wasn't sure, but because I knew how it was going to be heard. How it was going to be, have you ever been there when you're, you're like, you want to say something that you kind of, that you sound hesitant, when in reality, the only hesitancy is because I know that people aren't going to like it. You ever been there? It, well, that's kind of where I was. Don't get me wrong, though. I would not have volunteered for it, but I'm glad I was there even more. I wouldn't give up that experience for anything else. My being able to, to share the good news with students that otherwise I would never get an, an opportunity to stand in front of and tell them what Jesus did in my life, what he could do in theirs, right? I'll never get an opportunity to do that again. Probably They probably won't invite me back. But, but I'll say that I got the opportunity once to, to stand up for what I believe. Today is going to be one of those Sundays for folks like this. That It's one of those things that's hard, but yet if you see it through, it's going to be great. It's going to be, Jesus invites us today in the text into a hard and difficult way of life. But I believe it proves itself to be the best part of living a life of faith. Something that once we experience it, once we live it out, it becomes something we wouldn't give up for anything. For anything. We would never want to go back to before once we begin to live this out. Today, talking about what it's like to live a life of forgiveness. A life of forgiveness, a message that, well, I'm, I'm confident of this, that it's going to be difficult for some of us sitting here. For some of you, this is going to be hard. For others, it'll be a reminder of how good God is, because you've been down the road already. But regardless, we will all agree one day that it is oh so worth it when we answer to the call that Jesus has on our life. So if you join me, we're in Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10 is the only, the only portion of text we're going to work through today, so shorter than we've been in the, for a while now. Text is on the screen, but I encourage you always to, to bring a Bible with you so you can follow along. <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound, are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they do come. He says, hard times are going to, things are going to go wrong. But woe to the one, trouble is even going to be worse for the one who causes the problems in your lives. Don't be the one who causes problems in people's lives, he says. It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's not good at all for the people who cause troubles in people's lives. He says they've got to deal with something that's much worse than the one who just experiences the difficulty. Jesus says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You must 
forgive them. Jesus here is not talking about easy forgiveness, right? You know what easy forgiveness is. It's those, it's those mistakes, the one-offs. that are. You know, It's when you're in the grocery store and the 12 items are less lame, and that person is standing up there with 18 items. It, it's obvious to everybody you're not supposed to do it, and yet there they are, like loud and proud, right? They're like all about it. This is bad. It's the worst offense you can make in the grocery store, aside from squeezing bread. It is the worst thing you could do is get in that lane with 18 items. Nobody does, everybody knows, and yet, but that's an easy offense to forgive, right? That's an easy one to just say, ah, it's all right. When your husband forgets to take out the trash, my wife's not here, <laughs> easy to forgive. When your wife gets the wrong flavor of ice cream, easy to forgive, right? When you forget to unload the dishwasher, it's easy to forgive. Those are easy things to just say, okay, don't worry about it. It's all right, right? Easy offenses are always easy to forgive. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about things that aren't easy, things like betrayal. Betrayal. When someone does exactly what they promised they would never do. That's hard, right? That's hard. Some of you know exactly what betrayal is because you've experienced it in your life. It didn't just happen one time, but it happened again and again and again. You trusted them. Maybe it was somebody you admired, someone you, you truly loved and thought loved you. Maybe it was back when you were a kid and you were bullied in school every single day. You can still remember their names and their faces. Some of you maybe thought that the one was the one when in reality they were just another one who was going to lie to you. Maybe it was a mom or a dad who controlled you or made you feel small. A friend you, you spoke to in confidence only to have them use exactly what you shared with them against you. Betrayal. Maybe you found out about your spouse's addiction to porn. Maybe it was a person who touched you or violated you. It wasn't your fault. It was terrible. And yet here you sit today, betrayed. Your trust has been betrayed. I think we can all identify with that in some area of our lives. I think we've all had our trust betrayed in one place or another. So I don't know exactly how you feel about the betrayal that you've experienced, but I know how I feel about the betrayal that I've experienced. So I know on, on some level what it's like, that what you're dealing with. I've been betrayed by family members. Absolutely. I've had friends who I thought were confident, confident bots, right? I've shared with them things, and they've, had it, they've turned it around on me. I know what that's all about. And yet Jesus tells me and tells us to forgive. Doesn't make it a suggestion. He makes it a command. He says it again and again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul said it in Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus said again in Matthew 6, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
God tells us to forgive. He doesn't say, you might ought to, you should consider. No, he says, forgive, period. It's not going to be easy, but do it anyway. Because it's the only way that you can be free of the pain that was caused to you. You can't, we've tried to sweep it under the rug, right? You can't sweep it under the rug. There's not a rug big enough to cover it, right? You aren't going to be able to forget about it. You can't control what you forget. You can't pretend it didn't happen. The only way to truly heal, the only way to truly live the life that Jesus is inviting us into is to forgive. That's the why. But how? How do we experience, how do we do that? We'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to make sure we're clear on what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Forgiveness isn't the same thing as forgetting. It's not forgetting. You can't control what you forget, but you can control what you forgive. You can control that. Forgiveness isn't about restoring the relationship. It's not about grabbing dinner, taking them out for coffee. It's not about sending them Christmas cards or liking their stuff on Facebook or Instagram. It's not about any of that. It's it's not about restoring the relationship. It's not. Forgiveness is not about that. It doesn't mean that you can't have some new boundaries that are going to protect you and those you love. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean letting them do it anymore. There are consequences to behavior. Some things just can't be undone with a simple I'm sorry or a great apology. The fact is, after you've been betrayed, after we've been betrayed, it takes some time for us to begin to trust again. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And yet Jesus says, forgive, even when, especially when, everything in us tells us not to. Isn't that the way it is? When we're offended, when we're hurt, everything in you says, hang on to it. Hang on to that pain. Don't let it go. Squeeze it for everything it's got in it. It's normal to want revenge, to get even. That's what, you're, that's what you want. For a young woman to forgive her dad who abused her just because he said he was sorry is not normal. It's not normal to overlook it when a friend lies about you. It's not normal for a woman to forgive her husband for, for walking out on her and the kids. It's not normal for a husband to forgive a wife for running away with a friend from work. It's not normal. And yet, that's what Jesus calls us to do. To do the thing that's not normal. To do the thing that isn't natural. That doesn't come easy. It's funny how God works. And yesterday as I was, uh, uh, or Friday, I guess, uh, as I was working on my message, I got an email from uh, the Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if you may have ever heard of Voice of the Martyrs or not, but they send out prayer requests for missionaries around the world, people who are undergoing uh, conflict for their faith, right? Uh, People can submit prayer requests, and then they distribute them worldwide. And yesterday was a a story, an interview with a a lady uh, named Pauline Ayad. Her husband, Rami, uh, they they were missionaries in Gaza to the Muslim people in Gaza. And they were telling us, she was telling the story of her husband, who had for months 
couple months prior had been warned by the, the local uh, Muslim leaders, leadership there that, that you, you need to knock off this Christian stuff and you need to repent and come back to is the, the true faith, Islam. And he, he wouldn't. And one night, he's locking up their family business. A car pulls up and abducts him. He's never seen again. He calls her. They allow him to call his wife, and he's kind of, he just says, hey, I'm going to be late. I'm, some friends picked me up, and I'll see you later. That was all he said. That was the last time she spoke to him. The next day, she found out that he'd been kidnapped and tortured and then murdered because he would not convert to Islamic faith. She struggled financially from that moment on because she, here she is, a Christian, known as a Christian, in a Muslim world, and, and no one would give her a job. No one would help her and her children. She lost her insurance. She lost her home, everything. Understandably so, right? She was angry with God. God, why did you let this happen? Right? You ever been there? Amen? Right? We, many of us have been there. Why did you let this happen? Not only did she, was she angry with God, but she had hatred in her heart for the murderers. Understandably so, right? Completely makes sense. And then one day she said, after, after months of struggling with this, of just being in a pit of hopelessness and loneliness and, and isolation and, and no way out, she said, the Spirit of God spoke to her and told her that God wanted her husband, Rami, home with him that day and called him home. And then that was the bottom for her, she said. It was then that the Lord poured over her, she said, forgiveness for those who had killed her husband. She experienced God's forgiveness. Her friends described that moment in her life as her being set free. Like there was a switch in her from carrying the burden to letting it go in that moment. How? How did she possibly do that? She said it took time before she could forgive. She said, but eventually it became clear that my forgiveness was a decision I had to make. Was a decision that I had to make. It wasn't about my feeling. It was a decision. A decision to do what God asks without worrying about how. Just do it. Just do it. Pauline, you see, realized that that just as what happened to her husband wasn't fair, it also wasn't fair the way God had treated her in her unforgiveness. The way God treats us when we live in rebellion. The way God treats us like we don't deserve all the time. And what does God do? How does God treat those who live in rebellion? Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Forgiveness, you see, is simply giving to others what God has already given to you. What she said was that, God poured out his, her, his forgiveness on her and it covered over everyone else who had wronged her and her husband. The apostles in the story that we started with, they got it. 
They got it. They understood they were called to forgive. But seven times? Seven times in a day? I mean, I've been asked many times to clean out the dishwasher, and I didn't do it, right? And my wife eventually said, I'll do it. And in that moment, I was like, uh-oh. Right? Whenever, whenever we hear, no, never mind, I'll do it. That's when you know, you, yeah, all right, I went too far, right? I should have I responded that last time, or maybe a couple times before, before I let it get this far, right? Some of you are smiling because you've been there, right? Because that's, that's where we are. But the apostles, they understood that seven times is just too much. How are we going to do that? What would you say that you're told to forgive someone seven times in a day? What would be your response? The disciples, they responded, Lord, help us, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. I just want to stop for a minute and and talk about this passage that for, for many of us, this has been a difficult one because we think we have faith, and yet we struggle with unforgiveness. We struggle with this or with that. And so what's... What's, we read this and we're like, uh-oh, do I, what? I guess I'll have to pray increase my faith too. I've read this over and over this week and I'm convinced that Jesus wasn't affirming them, he was actually correcting them in their thinking about what their faith was. And I believe he's trying to correct us as well. We use the word faith in a number of ways, right? It refers to our doctrines, what we believe, right, about the Christian faith. That's our, that is our faith, Right? Faith we use to describe our belief in God for salvation, right? That's faith. We also refer to faith as that thing which which holds our lives together when everything else is falling apart, right? Faith holds us together. You've been through hard times. We, We say it's our faith that got us through it. We also use it to describe that thing within us that releases God's power. That faith is the thing that's the trigger that releases God's power in the world. There are people who actually believe that if you believe strongly enough, if you have enough faith, then God will move, God will do stuff for you. He will do it. And if he doesn't do it, though, it's because your faith was faulty. That's the danger. That's the danger. I'll grant you. In Scripture, that faith is sometimes described in terms of, of size, right? Having a, a large amount of faith or a small amount of faith, right? But here, Jesus seems to be saying that the volume of your faith, the volume, how much faith you have, it's not the issue. Because even a little bit would move the tree. The disciples viewed faith, you see, as a power, as a force that would make things happen, that they could hold. And the more of it they had, the more they could make happen. That's how the disciples were describing their faith in this moment. It's not faith, but the object of our faith that makes things happen. You understand that? It's not the fact that you believe that makes things happen. It's the fact that the one you believe in that makes things happen. It's the one you have faith in that moves mountains. Not not in your ability to believe. Faith is our ability, is our belief in the ability of God to do the impossible. And our commitment to trust Him to do it according to His timing and, and when. His time, when and how He chooses and decides. 
we're misguided if we want more faith so we can get more of the results that we want. That's the wrong approach. We need a deeper faith, not more faith. We need a deeper faith so we can have a more intimate relationship with God and then experience the very things that He wants in our lives. That's what we need, is a deeper faith so we can have more of Him in us. Nothing is as exciting as experiencing God things. Things that can only be explained that God made them happen. There's nothing more exciting in life than to, than to experience those. Wow, God, you, like, you, you did that. I mean, I think about the stories in my own life and the life of my wife and our family. When we look back and see where God moved, clearly God moved, those are the ones that, man, I love telling those stories. Love telling those stories. Our concern should not be that we, we, we can talk to trees and get them to move, but that we can talk to God. And He can move heaven and earth to accomplish His purposes in us and through us. One of those purposes that He seeks to accomplish through us is forgiveness. We pray it all the time. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us ours as, as we forgive others, you see. Forgiveness is sharing what God has done in us. What He's already given you. That's all forgiveness is. Well, how am I supposed to do that, we ask. Jesus says, don't wait for extraordinary faith. But because we have an extraordinary God, a God who has done and is doing amazing things in you, changing your heart, renewing your mind, making you a conduit for love, because of all of that, forgive. Just forgive. Jesus tells His disciples to forgive even seven times a day. They say, Lord, increase our faith because we can't do that. Jesus says, well, maybe you can't. But God can. God can. Jesus says the faith you have is enough for God to do that in you and through you. You see, faith gets its power, not in the quantity we have, but from the one we have faith in. The one you have faith in. That's where the power rests. Forgiveness works because of the one who forgives. The creator of forgiveness. God. That's why forgiveness works. It's his thing. It's ours to share. That's where Jesus closes this, par- this passage with a parable. In verses 7 through 10, he says, When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come on in and eat with me? No. He says, Prepare my meal. Put on your apron. Serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. That's what the master says. And does the master say, thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. See, he compares it to servanthood. Why do we forgive? Because God tells us to. After all, he's forgiven us. The question for us is the same question that Pauline Ayad in the story had to wrestle with. What makes me so important that I get to withhold forgiveness 
from people who have offended me, who've wronged me? What makes me so important? Pauline, she realized that nothing made her that important. That forgiveness is a decision to make. Not about how she felt. It was simply something that she had to do out of obedience. There's something about the human nature that, that wants to be honored, that wants recognition, right? You ever feel that? You want, you want the pat on the back? When we do hard things, like forgiveness, right? We want people to notice it. We want the person that we're forgiving to be remorseful or to, to apologize or say, oh, you're right. Yeah, we want that, right? We want that recognition. We want that back. But, but forgiving with a servant's heart is the better approach, not depending on the response of others. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his privileges. He took the position of a slave and was born as a human being when he was, appeared in human form. He, he neglected himself for the sake of others, for us. We cling to things that are going to make us significant. And we resist things that are going to make us feel insignificant. Jesus lifts up a model of servanthood, though. That seeks, he lifts up a model that seeks advancement for the kingdom, for the master, not of ourselves. He lifts up a servanthood that, that performs out of duty, without an expectation of praise or reward, but simply responds out of humility and love. Our master isn't asking us to forgive. He's demanding it. Servant's response, better response is, yes, Lord. It's not, well, God, how much forgiveness do they deserve? Like, I can forgive them a little bit, but I can't forgive them completely. The servant's response is, yes, Lord, help me. question for those of us who carry burdens today, still, how much freedom do you want? How much freedom do you desire? Today could be the day that by faith you choose to forgive. You may not feel like you've forgiven, but one thing I know about that when we forgive by faith, right, is that God's grace is at work that he begins to change us. In the days to come, if you forgive by faith that God receives it, God knows and he knows your heart. If you, if you take that approach today, that in the days to come, you will begin to feel forgiveness in your heart towards them. You will begin to love in places where you haven't experienced love in a long time. Just as you, in the same way that you feel the love from God because you're loving others. What they did, what they said, was terrible. But choosing to forgive the neglect, the lies, the betrayal, the deceit, turns you around, sets you free. Forgiving that is simply deciding that they no longer have to answer to you, to me. Only to God. Only to God. I'm not going to stand in God's place. It doesn't change the past, but it changes my future. 
that I'm not carrying that anymore. I'm choosing to put it down. When you forgive, you're actually saying the pain, the, the pain that was caused back then is not going to hurt me anymore. I'm no, back then, I was a victim. I'm no longer a victim. Back then, I was made a prisoner. But I'm, today, I'm going to be free of my past. Not forgetting about it, but I'm going to live free. Free. See, that's the, that's the gift of forgiveness. That's what God wants us to experience. Not just that our wrongs that we've committed against Him, but the, the forgiveness that we need towards one another. That's how we experience it. God doesn't, God doesn't want you just to be free just so you can heal the other person. God wants you to forgive so that you can be healed. That's what God's desire is for us. That Jesus came that we have life and life to its fullest. The Satan's exists to keep us in bondage. You have the faith. I just want to tell you right now, if, you've, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you, have, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you said, you are the Lord of my life, then you have the faith to forgive. You have all that's necessary to forgive. All it takes is deciding to. All it takes is deciding to. Today, I'm going to forgive. I'm just going to trust God. I don't know how. It doesn't even make sense. I'm just going to do it. You have the faith today to be free. Because forgiveness is simply, it's not giving them more of you. It's not giving them something that's actually yours. All you're doing is passing along something that God has already shared with you. You're just passing it along. In, In the midst of it, in your obedience, you find freedom. You find, an, you find an experience that you wouldn't trade for anything in the world. That once you've, once you've walked through this, walked down this road, and those of you who've been down this road, you know that you wouldn't go back for anything in the world. I can tell you that the, the people that um, in my life that I have written letters of forgiveness to that have hurt me, I wouldn't go back to carrying that grudge like I was, ever. I, there was nothing you could give me to make me go back to that. Is everything okay? Is, is everything the way I would want it to be? No. There are consequences. Things happen that you can't undo. But I wouldn't go back to carrying that grudge. And I don't want that for you. And more importantly than any of that, Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. That you wouldn't have to. We just give it to him. I'd like to pray for you today. God, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. Lord, I ask that you would would increase not our faith, but our, our confidence in the good news. Increase our confidence in the forgiveness that we found in you, Lord. That we might that we might forgive others quickly. Not to let the burdens fester, the scars up here, but God, we might, we might just release things to you, to take people off our list and put them on yours. Lord, help us. I know this is hard. God, we, we, we've experienced the difficulty of this teaching in, in real life. God, we've experienced our need for you. Help us, God, to be obedient to your call to walk in forgiveness today.
We love you, Lord. We look forward to what you're going to do in us and through us, God. We look forward to, to how this simple act of obedience and forgiving others, God, is going to transform us. It's going to make us walk a little lighter. It's going to make us a little quick to, quicker to smile. It's going to allow us to experience some peace in our lives where we've been dealing with anxiety and worries and frustrations, God. That, that, that peace is right before us. The peace that you want to give. The shalom of God that passes all understanding. We thank you, God. We love you. Lead us. Amen. 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 I would clarify something, too. When I asked Jackson, uh, when he said about he doesn't like the uh, preacher asking questions, or he was, I asked him, I said, do you like Pastor Gary? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I'm just afraid I won't give him the right answer. I said, Jackson, Pastor Gary's glad you're here, and he asks you questions because he likes you giving answers. Amen. Amen. And then he's leading into this one announcement or this couple announcements before the end. Am I appropriate to do this before we sing? Okay. So you got the microphone. Okay. (laughs) Um,